0: So we're in this uh, series on uh, worship. There's just one week to encounter, and uh, we got tonight. We got encounter evening. Uh, you know what? The uh, third Sunday of every month we have encounter evening, and uh, we're launching the twenty-four-seven uh, prayer as part of that or out of that. So tonight will be very much about w- w- um, with worship and uh, prayer tonight, the real focus on those is we, we really want to be pressing in with all that God's got for this season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting. When we take time to seek God, he does so much in us. And, you know, the, so we have our Sunday mornings, yeah, but that's not enough. If we really want to see the moves of the Spirit that God's got planned for this nation. Uh, you know, I'm a Scot and I'm very relieved that I'm no <laughs> long, I'm not a foreigner today i I have to say you know with with my heart i wanted independence because of our history and all the rest of it and my head was saying why would you ever do that and i think for a lot of people that's often one of the things there's there's emotive things that are part of our background our culture uh, part of our understanding that is very hard to communicate to people um you know uh There's many people who have experienced racism in this country. For me, racism was a fight every single day of school um, for the best part of three years because I was a Scot living in England as a a, a junior school. So I was in uh, several fights a, uh, a week. That does something to you about your acceptance so I've grown up as a foreigner in this land. That's why I understand some of the things that's going on with many of you. Because this is a church of multi-generations and multi-cultures. Okay, So racism changed over the years. But the reality is what it does is our heart and our head have different thoughts about where we are and what we're established in. Likewise with worship. Okay, now it may seem a bit of a, how, how do we do this? How, why is it so, so similar in my mind? Well, the, the reality is, for us who are worshippers, people, God's people, what we understood of ourselves is not who we are now. I am British, not Scottish. I will never be English. <laughs> but I now have a different identity, really, from what I grew up. That, as I'm in this country and not Scotland, changes my outlook as I begin to think about laws and I think about independence and doing things the way i like versus the way that the land operates. To be blunt, okay? Because... My heart is pulled in certain ways, experiences, what I was trained in, but my head sees together stronger as a nation, as, uh, as a country, economy-wise, and all the rest of it. But the rule or the control of my life t- tells me independence is the best way. Control myself, control my finances, and all the rest of it. You see, that's what Scotland went through. Do we want to be in charge of ourselves because that feels better, or do we want the wisdom of being some part of something bigger? But you lose control. And for us who are worshippers, we understand our lives belong to someone else. Then, then we're not our own. We're part of something else, and we have to learn to put our own thoughts down and to learn what it means to be worshippers God's ways. That means some changes to our very personality, the the likes and dislikes that we have, the predetermined... um, background or your default almost. I've had to change my entire way of speaking so I don't have a Scottish accent most of the time. Claire tells me whenever I speak to my parents over the phone she can hear some of the twang come straight back in. Most of you would not recognize me as a Scot from my Uh, from my accent. In fact, I've been asked why I'm New Zealand or Aussie or, I don't know, some kind of uh, weird stuff. But this, this worship thing is about having the sound of heaven and having God's kind of worship at the heart and focus of our lives because it's very different from most of what we grew up as being church the things that I'm going to talk about today. So are you ready? Let's just, Father, we just submit our hearts. We recognize that you're the one that worships for. And so, Jesus, we ask you to help us to lay hold of what you're saying, to be changed, to walk out the reality of this, the new things that you're saying, the, the, the challenge that that brings, the encouragement that that brings, that we're really part of something bigger. Heavenly Father, we just bring our minds, our cultures, our churchianity and submission to you today, and we say, Holy Spirit, take the words of Jesus and minister them to our hearts, because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. Amen. So we looked at um, lifestyle words encounter in week one, and we looked at uh, this last week, we looked at what what worship does to our hearts in terms of purity and light, and then about gentleness and about preventing pride, and then really about how we see miracles released and silence the enemy. And we were looking at this key scripture of ours from John 4. I just want to remind you that Jesus said in the midst of these scriptures, he said, "The Jews, we worship what we, who we know. You worship who you don't know. But a time is coming, and is now, when the worshippers that the Father seeks will worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, the Old Testament style of worship was not to be the model ...of what was next. That something above and beyond... ...was going to be introduced. And we saw that the Father actively seeks... ...that kind of worship. So, Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10... ...give us some interesting pointers. If you just want to turn to the book of Hebrews... ...I'm just going to pull out some verses from amongst these scriptures, as we really look at uh, what is, for me, a real key, that the throne room of Jesus is the starting point for spirit-initiated worship, and he is to be our total focus. This is the kind of worship as a pastor I demand of the worship team in this church and of the songs and how we select stuff and what I I am pressing for is that our starting point in all that we do must be in the throne room and to the Father, Son, the Lamb especially, and not about ourselves. So let's just read what it says. Uh, I just want to read, starting at uh, Hebrews 9. The first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room were the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread, and this was called... The holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covered Ark of the Covenant. It's actually a wrong picture because the altar of um, incense was actually outside. The writer, we think Paul, of the Hebrews, is already writing about a shift <coughs> that's supposed to have happened from being outside the holy place to being inside. The, the uh, altar of incense represents the prayers. It was the place of smoke and um, the, it, it represented prayer and worship. And if you actually were to look back into Exodus and all the other stuff that relates to the temple, you would see that actually that should be outside the Holy of Holies. Just outside. Whereas here, the writer of Hebrews is he's, he's beginning to talk about something shifting. A shift from where our worship goes from. In the Holy of Holies, before the throne of mercy and the throne of grace. The mercy seat is the throne of grace. The actual seat is the mercy seat, but it's the throne of grace. Because you can't have grace until you receive mercy first. So, what we see, even here, right at the very start of Hebrews 9... Is a shift that happens. And in fact, actually, it says in uh, Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Hebrews 10 verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the things, not the realities. And so for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices (laughs) repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If they could, those, would, those, those sacrifices would have stopped being offered. God's intention has always been that you and I would be worshippers who uh, were who's, who's holy, whose sacrifice and what we bring of ourselves is completely acceptable. And what actually had to happen is something else had to be offered on our behalf for anything of ours to be acceptable. In the Old Testament, that was that continual. Every year, sacrifice. But with Jesus, we read in verse 16, he became a priest, not on the an- basis of a regulation of his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. In verse 18, it says, the former regulations, all that went before, was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made, no- made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And because of this, verse 22, Jesus become the guarantee of a better covenant. Verse 24, because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. You and I, our worship is from a completely different place from all those Jews or the people that went before who believed in God, who joined themselves to the Jews, who, who trusted in all the covenants. Because our starting point is insight made acceptable by the blood of Jesus. And this is what it says. It says that the, the ministry, uh, Hebrews 8 and verse 6, the ministry that Jesus received is as much superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one because it's founded on better promises. Is, this, is, this, is, this is a kind of trying to get in our faces a little bit here because everything that the Jews did and try to do still today and if we're not careful, much of the church still has this starting approach that we will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise so that we can get into the holy of holies. But on the cross, the veil was torn from the top, in other words, not by man, to the bottom. That veil that separates between the holy place and the most holy place was torn from the top to the bottom, and as soon as that happened, the dead rose from their graves. That's how awesome that was. That pulling aside, that ripping aside of the veil that separated the presence of God from man happened when Jesus died on that cross. And it still remains torn today for you and for me that there's no more separation between man and God in Christ. It says in Ephesians 2, it says that he himself made the two one by his body. There was something dynamic that happened that changes our worship, our experience of God from outside to inside. The Old Testament's full of rituals and getting everything done right. The focus is on blood, on sacrifices. The focus is on sin and redemption, on man's activities. Whereas in the New Testament, what we see is it's full of encounter of being right with God and being able to do what he says. The focus is on Jesus, on righteousness and holiness. The focus is not trying to get sin dealt with. That's already happened. Every sacrifice, everything that's set up in the temple, from the washing of this and the the bulls and and the bread and all the rest of it, everything spoke about what had already been done. The only thing left for you and for me is to believe in all of that and to worship. Every activity of man's already dealt with, the only thing left is to be worshippers. Made holy. that's what it says in Hebrews 10:10. 10, 10. It says that we have been, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, once for all. Once. For all. In fact, the challenge that we have in, in, in Corinthians, when it says about re- uh, communion and about recognizing the body of Christ, is it's about: Do you actually recognize that you stand here before God, made holy, or are you doing a ritual? Because if it's in the ritual and what you're doing, and not what He's done. Your faith is not, you're not recognized in the body of Christ. It's not just, you know, hang on, this this is a holy act of breaking bread and doing communion. There's an aspect to that that's correct. But the reality is, I'm in Christ, therefore I can take the bread. I'm in Christ, I can take the wine. Because I put my trust in these things, the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, what he's done... I can take these symbols that represent and they will be blessing to me not curse. Because I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Not about to be. I stand already blessed. And so spirit-initiated worship is not soul-based. It doesn't rely on our emotions. It doesn't rely on our thinking. It doesn't rely on our, our will so much as our uh, as in, uh, are we going to do all the right things, but are we going to actually determine, I will not trust in what I can do, but what has been done for me. It doesn't not do with our will. There's still a bit of our will. What are we going to believe? <laughs> that's, the, that's the will bit. But it's not soul-based, it's spirit-based. It's Jesus has done it, And so, as we understand that, he has to be the total focus. It does not matter what we are. There's no point us going, I'm a new creation, I'm a this. That has to be the outflow of what God then does with us. The focus is not I'm a new creation, but that he has made all these things happen. The focus of worship is to the Lamb, And that brings me to really my second point is that new songs are the creative work, the creative product of spirit-initiated worship. Every time we see scripture, from scriptures, God do something new, there was a song came out of that. So we read this in in Exodus 15. Moses sees the Red Sea parted. They get across the other side and they pick up the tambourine. Miriam starts it off and they sing a brand new song about the horse and rider being thrown into the sea. Wow. But then we see another thing uh, with uh, David at his coronation. God speaks to him at his coronation and he writes Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire against the Son of God? Surely I, today I've become your father and you are my son. What God spoke to him, did something for him as a king, and the result was a new song. We read about that, going back to Moses, when, they, when they, uh, they, they got water from the well in Numbers 21, we see a new song being written about all the leaders getting on and doing what God said to do, which was actually build a well. In Deborah, in Judges 5, she ends up singing a song of what God's done. Every time God does something, we see a new song being written. Jesus has done something amazing. And we read in Revelation 5 that whenever they think about it, whenever heaven speaks about these things... So Revelation, the very last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 5. It says, I saw in the right hand of him, verse 1, who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on many sides. And I saw an angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to open the seals and break open the skull? That no one in heaven and earth could open it or even look into it. And I wept. And the angel Oh, sorry, the elders came to me and said, don't weep. See, the lion of the trine of Juba, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to break open the scroll and its seven seals." And I saw a lamb, looking if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, the elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, and in you know, other very descriptive language. Very descriptive language of what's going on. He came, he took the scroll and then All the elders, verse 8, it says that the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. When God does something amazing, we need to allow songs to rise from our heart. It is the product of every move of God that we've seen over the ages is to write new songs. Wesley wrote new songs to bring about an expression of what God was doing. And we're stuck singing songs 200 years ago in the church. Because those that keep singing those are not allowing the challenge of scripture where it constantly says sing a new song to actually affect their heart. Because that means we've actually got to engage with God. We can rely on someone else's songs. I love a lot of the new songs that are coming out, Jesus Culture and Planet Shakers and all the other kind of stuff that's out there and Bethel stuff. Some brilliant stuff being written. Years ago, there was not a lot of decent stuff out there. Now there's loads. But that's a move of God over there. That's a move of God over there. That's a move of God over there. What excites me is when we are in the move of God that he's called us to. Because songs come up out of our hearts. Not when we're in church all the time. That's not what I'm referring to but actually the ability of our hearts to engage with God. You see, when I hear uh, crowning with many crowns, ineffably sublime, I I hear words that kind of go straight over my head. Ineffably sublime. I mean, it's old language that I, frankly, have to look up in a dictionary. And I'm from the UK to work out what I'm singing about. What I'm trying to say is we sing songs that we don't even understand the words. When we sing a song and it has the word glory, what do you think it means? Well, there's just a few things that it means. It means wait. The weightiness of God, the, 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 the majesty or the, the immense authority of God, but it, it affects us like a pressure on us. That's glory. It, it's the, the amazing um, power of God, almost. You know when you see some of these weightlifters, and kind of, they kind of stand and they just kind of go, pop. <laughs> I can't do it. That's why I'm clothed and covered up, because it doesn't quite look that immense. You you see this, and you see incredible strength, don't you? Muscles popping all over the place. Some of it looks a bit hideous and a bit out of proportion, but the point is to have it in proportion, isn't it? That's what looks amazing, when it's in proportion. Not when one muscle's kind of five times the other, the rest, Okay. So, the weight is, a, is kind of a little bit about the glory, the power of God, really, the authority of God. But glory also refers to light. When we talk about the glory of God, we talk about like the light shining on my face, as opposed to being in the shadows where you can't quite see me. So, light. As we were talking before, it reveals things. We see the full expression and contours. But we also see something that puts everything else to shame. When when I'm in in the lights like here, I haven't got a clue who's sat there. The only thing I can see is the light. Everything else fades into right place before the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory so fills my eyesight that even when I turn away, the only thing I can see is the dots of light. It's affecting what I see next. The glory, when we talk about you are glorious, we're talking about his light and the impression of light in us affecting how we see people next. So if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We no longer look at each other in the way we used to. We now see something different. When we're talking about God's glory, I glorify you. You are glorious. We're saying, you're changing my eyesight about people. Or we're saying, you're glorious, and I see. The weight of you upon my life where you're moving me the way you want me to go. Your authority and power being expressed on me, not just around me. If I put my hands on someone's shoulders, it's quite easy to push them and maneuver them where I want them to go. They still have to move with me, but the weightiness of God it is like putting your hands on the shoulders. It's it's all this mantle of authority. So when we talk about glory, we can mean two completely different things. But what's our mind even thinking? You're glorious. You're glorious. Oh, God, you're glorious. And it's just words that, that our brain isn't even computing and working out what that means. But when we begin to sing, you're the one who directs my life. My paths are in you. You're the one, Father, who your, your weightiness, your glory reveals your paths to me. I thank you that you are glorious. Our focus is totally on him and what he's about to do next. We sing songs that line up our heart with what God is saying to us, as opposed to what God is saying to someone else. But then let me just take a few things. I want to know your glory. Some of the songs, draw me close, Lord. It sounds very nice and it's completely unscriptural because the scripture says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. So there's no point asking God to draw close to you when he says that my presence goes with you, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So the pointless saying, draw me, draw, draw close to me, go draw me closer. My job is to draw close to him. It is so that's pointless. When I sing songs about drawing close, draw me close, I'm contradicting my faith and undermining everything I believe. This is why the songs are weeded out in this church. Some songs I like listening to, they're really nice songs, great lyrics on on the whole. And it says some stuff that's like, no, I will not confess these things. And I will not let them be confessed in this church as pastor because I have a responsibility before the Most High to teach the whole gospel and not part of it. That's why I so hate that song about the Lord gives and takes away. I know I said that a couple of weeks ago. It's a great song, the rest of it. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But then it says these awful words. The Lord gives, the Lord takes, and it gets this tune that's so catchy that actually you find yourself humming that part of it. The bit you end up remembering is not blessed be the name, but he gives and takes away, which is wrong. It's unscriptural, or it's scripture taken out of context and used in the wrong place. Because the gifts of God are without recompense or without a recall or without... Uh, um, uh, repentance. He gives and he keeps on giving. But we destroy our very faith by paying no attention to what we're singing. And uh, as we understand this, we have to understand God us, gave us the Holy Spirit for a reason. Okay? You and I cannot worship God without the use of the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given for a reason. Because you can't do it in the natural, you have to do it by the Spirit. You and I have to understand when God says about, uh, uh, this is in Hebrews, uh, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I will pray in tongues and I will pray with my mind. In other words, I'm going to pray in the Spirit things I do not understand that are beyond me. Which, if you're like me, ineffably sublime sounds a little bit beyond me. What that means is, ineffably sublime from the it means inexpressible, or it's beyond normal words that we, we kind of feel that we're failing to express something about God. It's proper character, ineffably sublime. It, 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 it's kind of... Bleh. And sometimes that's how we feel. But what praying in tongues, singing in tongues actually does is actually unlocks from our heart a language that is able to express God's goodness and God's immensity and his glory with words that are not that I've learned. They're words from heaven the heavenly language that we, that we read about in, in Revelation, where they're crying out before the Lamb with loud cries. The worship of heaven is incredibly loud. It's so loud that it shakes the very doorposts and foundations of heaven itself. Yeah. So if you think that the, uh, the music here's a little bit loud sometimes, wait till you get to heaven. The silence for half an hour, and then the place rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's much more my kind of style. <laughs> the grace of God to us, as we begin to sing in tongues, we begin to sing beyond our knowledge and experiences, and we begin to allow the truth to be expressed at a new level in our lives and in our mouths. And what as we begin to sing and release that from our heart, something changes in us that allows miracles and supernatural to be normal. The Holy Spirit is given to enable us to live the full Christian life, not some substandard version. That we... When I survey the wondrous cross, those kind of words, or how I I can't know how to... uh, What was the latest one I heard recently Um, about not being able to know God's um, goodness? uh, It's one of the songs. Anyway, that's wrong. Every time we come before God in worship, in the spirit, he unlocks Brand new stuff to us. Now, we'll never come to the end of it, but we can know, and we're supposed to know, what he's doing in our lives. Because when we pray in tongues, it says that we're to interpret. So when you sing in tongues, you should interpret. There should be uh, both a message in tongues, that's given by one to a whole number, but there should be the understanding and interpretation of tongues to us and to our own spirit as we sing and as we declare things in prayer. We're not supposed to be thinking, I'm doing I'm just singing here, Lord, what's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. But what actually happens is as you pray in tongues and as you sing in tongues, your faith goes into action. What we talk about is that we get a breakthrough with God. It's a spiritual language that really confuses. Because what actually happens is we, the, the, we talk about as if we, we pray in tongues until we get a breakthrough with God, or we sing in tongues until we get a breakthrough with God, which isn't correct. The breakthrough is with ourselves, not with God. What actually happens is the moment you begin to pray or sing in tongues, you are in the Spirit, because you can only speak in tongues by the Spirit. So the second you pray or sing in tongues, you're in the Spirit, but your mind is struggling with what's going on whether you're singing or praying is struggling to get control and say stop i don't like this i don't understand this let me be in charge because i want reason that's what your mind so what you have is this tussle inside you spirit soul which is going to be in control and as you pray more and more in tongues your flesh your soul Begins to quieten down, and it's more clear and obvious that you are in the spirit. That's the breakthrough. When actually you, well, Brother Hagen talks about hitting a gusher, and when he talks about this in in one of his books, he he talks about having prayed for a number of hours, and then suddenly it was like there was no more effort anymore. He made a lot of effort and what he then said is every time thereafter that he prayed in tongues and spoke in tongues and sang in tongues, he hit the gusher instantly. The, the problem was the first time because he really wasn't totally convinced that this was from God and that it was going to enable and unlock everything. The, you and I need to pray and sing in tongues like crazy. It's Weird for non-Christians, because it's supernatural. But, the Bible in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that when unbelievers hear it, they're convicted. They don't understand it, so it's better that you prophesy. Well, that's the outflow of singing in tongues and and praying in tongues, But it does say that they will be convicted even as they hear tongues as well. So he actually says both. Okay, if you read through Corinthians 14. Today, we are going to spend some time just beginning to sing in tongues and allow new songs to come out of our hearts. The musicians, they are just going to play very gently in the background to help us to get beyond where we're at. Because God's going to release something brand new here today. For me, it's brand new because I know this and God's going to take me to new levels. If you don't know this before, maybe you don't uh, know how to pray in tongues, while the worship's going on, And just I want to encourage you to come forward to the front. Someone will pray with you. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to begin to take some steps out uh, about coming into aisles and coming up the front. Because scripture constantly talks about coming before the throne. When we had our old religious ways, it was there would be an altar here. We understood that. Now we don't have altars, we just have kind of stages and whatever. But the principle of walking forward and kneeling and prostrating before God still exists. And actually, it's about the surrender of the will. Bowing a knee, laying before God, is actually about allowing God to do something brand new that will take you to a new level in your life with him. I've got so much more I want to preach. There's so much that God has for us. But I think really the challenge... To us today, the encouragement that God wants to do is if the veil's torn and you're in front of Him, what's going to stop you encountering Him now? As soon as you open your mouth and begin to sing, God's presence is going to manifest Himself on you, and maybe it's going to be light. Maybe it's going to be the weightiness and the glory. Maybe it's going to be some other expression, because I only did two because of time. What are you going to let God manifest, touch, and transform in your hearts this morning? Let's let's just stand to our feet and respond to God where you are. Just begin to pray to speak in other languages, in tongues. Just begin to allow God to flow out of you via His Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for musicians. Just begin to thank Him. Thank Him for your salvation today. Thank Him that you are stood in the throne room of heaven itself, that every barrier is removed. Thank Him that He's made you holy and you no longer need to focus on yourself being acceptable to God anymore. That he has made you holy by a once and for all time sacrifice. And if this is the first time that you've ever done this, you're not really known for sure that you're a Christian. You have believed in God maybe but never quite understood it was Jesus himself. And just ask Him to fill you with His, with Himself today. Just give Him your life, Lord. I give You my life. I want Your life in exchange. I want everything that You've spoken about. Make it real to me today. Let's just begin to worship Him. Just lift your voice. My My i to Jesus, Jesus, my only king, my joy. that release a release of tongues a release of the gifts of the Spirit this morning just receive what you need there's something new bubbling forth in your spirit new tongues there's a multiplicity of tongues so has a new language been added today. <laughs>
1: So